You really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 13 of Can I Comment? And uh, it's good to have you with us. Normally, again, I'm here with my friends Jake and James, but over the next couple of weeks, we're bringing in some guests to talk on the podcast for the first time. So last week, we had Nathan Finocchio, and I would highly encourage you to go listen to that episode about deconstruction, Christian nationalism, progressive Christianity. Uh, It was just so helpful, and I've gotten so much feedback from so many of you just telling us how impactful and helpful that episode was. And today, we are talking to Nathan's brother, Gabe. Gabe is also a co-founder of Theos U and Theos Seminary. He is also a teaching pastor in New York City. So, uh, hey, listen, this is a really good conversation. It's really wide-ranging. We talk about theology. We talk about deconstruction. We talk about, uh, honestly, so many different things. And so it's a little bit of a longer episode than we normally have, but uh, Gabe goes really deep, and he talks really fast. So make sure, pay attention. It's going to be a really good episode. So hey, listen, if you love the podcast, if you're liking what we're doing, do us a huge favor and uh, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube. Give us a rating, give us a friendly review uh, as well. It really does help in getting the word out. Well, hey, listen, enjoy this interview with Gabe Finocchio and we will see you back here next week. Gabe, thanks for being with us, man. Yeah, I think we need to turn the air conditioning off now. Turn the air conditioning off. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, we're, we're in our office and... Uh, we have pregnant women out in the common room. In the common room. Perfect. Complaining about how hot it is. And about <laughs> <noise>. <laughs> Nobody's happy. Exactly. Nobody's happy. Hey, so you're part of um, King's Church, right? In NYC? I am, yeah. Um, yeah. Got involved uh, with Pastor David Engelhart probably four years ago. Um, my brother introduced me to him and Nathan was at that time in New York city and mm-hmm. he was teaching, uh, evening college there yep. and Dave, David, pastor David was also helping out and teaching. And, uh, so oh, wow. yeah, just connected with him. And then he, um, launched his church King's church and, uh, off and on I'd been going, uh, to, you know, help lead worship or preach on a Sunday and then um, basically, you know, the whole COVID thing uh, slash, you know, political, you know, drama mm-hmm. uh, caused uh, caused him to kind of, you know, rekindle the the, the vision for the church. And he relaunched. Uh, I mean, obviously, all, most churches were closed during COVID, the early stages of COVID, at least. And then, um, you know, so that everybody could get their bearings. And then he uh, relaunched in September and he called me and said, Hey, you know, I I really, I really feel the Lord telling me to, to open the doors, you know? And I was like, great dude. Like, and immediately I was like, dude, I want to help you, you know, in any way I can. And so we just, uh, partnered together and I just, you know, was like, hey, if you want me to lead worship, I'll lead the worship every Sunday. And so I, I began driving to and fro from uh, Pennsylvania to New York every Sunday, just, you know, kind of leaning in, helping him. And I actually thought it was a temporary situation. And uh, the Lord was like, no, I actually want it to be a little bit more permanent than than you thought previously. So 
I've been helping him since September, and then I moved into New York uh, about a month ago. So now you, I'm uh, like in a New, I'm a New Yorker. New Yorker, you are. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Yeah, he, I follow yeah. him on Instagram. He seems like a lovely guy. Um, yes, he's he's he is. He's a, he's an amazing. Um, he's an he's an amazing guy. He's a a lawyer. Uh, he went yeah. to he went to law school and became a New York City lawyer and uh, he's got an incredible intellect and uh, he's just he's he's you know I look up to him as a leader because uh, you know one of the marks of a leader is doing the thing that nobody else does mm-hmm. and uh, really you know taking on the responsibility of being um be, being the guy who has to do the things that are hard and difficult and uh, not following trends, but leading trends and leading things and, and, you know, being, being kind of out in front of the people. And when the people are afraid, you're confident and you're courageous. And mm-hmm. when the people are confused, you have clarity and vision. And so, you know, he, this, he's, he's been that guy, uh, uh, and I look up to him, man. I, I, I just, I can't, you know, uh, I think it's so invaluable the fact that he has opened the church and, um, especially during these times yep. where mm-hmm. so many churches across denominations have been closed. Um, yep. you know, he's treated the church as an essential service and, yep. uh, and it's, it's grown and people are just, you know, they're, they're loving it. It's such a, right. and it's, it's a great spirit in the church. There's just a, a real vivacity, a real fire of God, a real presence of the Holy spirit there. And it's, it's uh yeah, it's awesome. there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now. So that's awesome. That's amazing. Super good. That's awesome. So you do that. And then did you co-found the issue? Is that kind of what you, I guess yeah. your title is there. So tell us about how that kind of, kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us how that kind of started, the Ashu, just in terms of, um, sorry, I pretty, Jess, okay, we good? Yeah, yeah okay, no cool. worries. Um, yeah, so tell us, um, just tell us how the Ashu happened. Like, you guys, it, it feels like you guys came out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, I know you didn't. This has been kind of a long time building it to now, but kind of what was the, um, I don't know, what was the passion behind that? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, Theosu was, uh, I mean, it's an interesting thing because the way the Lord works is is through his time and and his uh, his arrangement of things. Um, so if it, it, it has felt very natural. Um, and really, we just, Nathan and I are pastor's kids. We grew up in the local church. We went to a, a local church Bible college. Um, that's, you know, I think it's over 50 years old now, but it's in Portland, Oregon called Portland Bible college. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was, was so that we, city Bible church, city Bible church. City that's Bible right. Church, yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's a great, it was a great environment, um, for a, a bachelor's of theology. And, uh, you know, they heavily relied upon the teaching of Kevin Connor, who's a, a charismatic theologian. A, a, a wonderful Bible teacher. And um, so all that to say, Nathan and I were raised in the local church and, and trained by the local church. We love the local church. And so Nathan uh, in Hillsong had been teaching at Evening College. 
I was a part of a local church in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and was teaching for four years as the director of their evening college. And so we were just teaching in a local church context. Um, and basically we were just offering courses, you know, uh, somewhat presumptuously, but, you know, going through verse by verse, the book of Romans, you know, and taking, I was taking baby boomers through the book of Ro <laughs> Romans and, uh, teaching baby boomers is like trying to teach, you know, God, um, to a degree because, <laughs> you know, or, or maybe, I mean, I'm trying to be charitable there, but, uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's, uh, yeah. So baby boomers don't come to learn. They come to, to, to teach you. So, right. uh, <laughs> what can so a millennial all, teach a baby boomer? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but Nathan was teaching millennials and, uh, they were eating out of his hand and, so, so, but we were, we were both teaching the same courses, same curriculum mm. and going through, you know, books of the Bible, basic doctrine and, um, you know, just, just being, you know, doing essentially doing in the local church, what we were doing, what we are doing now through the mm -hmm. and, um, the Lord just kind of, you know, uh, transitioned Nathan, um, and, Basically, Nathan uh, moved from from New York to California, and he was kind of just in a in a season of just waiting on God, waiting on what he felt the Lord wanting him to do. And and I was also sensing a transition where I was at. And so we, you know, my brother in law was also sensing a transition where he was at. And uh, and so my my brother my uh, my brother in law and myself. Uh, kind of put our heads together and we were like, you know what, we should do what we're doing in an online context, uh, you know, just put, you know, offering it to people, just the ordinary parishioner, the ordinary man, just and, and woman, you know, people who don't have time to go to Bible college and spend a thousand, a hundred thousand uh, dollars, mm -hmm. people who don't have the, who have kids, people who, who uh, are just wanting to, they don't want an academic weight upon them. They just want something that, that, um, can easily distill the truth that, that the scripture teaches. And, and honestly, people who just in their own local churches aren't getting, uh, in, in-depth Bible study mm -hmm. and they're, they're not getting deep theology, unfortunately. And this is, this is again, a, a situation that we're dealing with in America on mass where yeah. churches are not, churches just aren't going deep. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a leadership thing. And, yeah, I was going to ask, why, uh, do, you think, about that? why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. That's something we're talking about. Because I would say in the past, we've been guilty of that. Um, uh, or I guess to be more specifically, I would say in the past, I've been guilty of that um, and have struck a more inspirational chord as a preacher. Um, but certainly, I guess in the last, I would say maybe two to three years, mm -hmm. you know, probably have, would be an accurate time frame of have transitioned from that and i just have a deep conviction that uh people are way overly inspired and they need depth um and i think covid proved that right and it was mm -hmm. such a reckoning for a lot of churches and a yes uh it was a reckoning for a lot of churches because it was a reckoning for a lot of christians mm -hmm. yes um, in that they had nothing to stand on and that's probably an overstatement i don't want to be uh uh severe but um We've certainly come to a place where 
we, we kind of just, our aim is not to inspire and we're not, we're not trying to be impressive preachers. We want people to learn the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why do you think that is the case? I think, I mean, something like that. Uh, I do think it's very complicated. I think we've complicated it. I think that we've created a number of different things that have, that have become obstacles um, any, anywhere from a desire to grow the church by numbers rather than by uh, character, yeah. uh, a, des- a, a desire to appease people, um, uh, the fear of man um, that that is a snare to leadership. I think the fear of man is probably one of the chief snares to leader to 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 leaders not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Say that um, in a non-Christian way for anybody who might be listening to this and they are not familiar with the terminology of the fear of man. Yeah. So I would say when leaders begin to look at, um, when, when leaders begin to look at people as their um, source of strength, um, mm-hmm. when people, when leaders begin to look at people in a way that, idolizes them, um, that exalts them into a position of unnatural, uh, obedience and, um, and, you know, just acquiescence, just saying, Hey, you know, whatever, basically turning it kind of turning church into a democracy, I suppose, you mm-hmm. know, where church, church is actually not a democracy. Church right. is, church is, is, is not people up. It's thrown down. And the idea here is, is that Jesus is is the King of Kings and mm-hmm. the Lord of Lord, of Lords, and and so, I mean, there's really not a, a non Christian way to put that, only because you either fear man or you fear God, and as a like really, that's that's really what it it boils down to. It's it's not like there's a neutral. Uh, non-theistic position to take, right? Um, you know, it's because everything boils down to authority, mm-hmm. and so if if you have a proper alignment in 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 terms of how you look at authority, you're not going to look at the people's authority as as higher and greater and and uh, and and more respectable and honorable than the Lord's. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna say, you know what? As a leader, I care about what God thinks before I care about what men think. Mm-hmm. And so, so as a leader, you're going to look at that and say, uh, I want, I, I want to do everything that I can to make sure that I'm pleasing God. Uh, not to say that pleasing man is somehow, um, there, there's some, there, there's like an antipathy between pleasing God and pleasing man. I don't think that it should be, there should be, because I think that when, I think God is good and therefore that when we please God, it is pleasant to man uh, because God is good. Especially uh, his will, people whose aim is to be pleasing to God. And, and that is mm-hmm. the church, is a collective group of people who are aiming to be pleasing to God. Therefore, if the leader's aim is to be pleasing to God, then the people will be pleased by extension. Exactly. Exactly. So there's no, there's actually no real antipathy there. There's no, there's right. no uh, contradiction there. Yeah. Uh, um, some, sometimes I should say there shouldn't be. 
sometimes there is because our flesh gets in the way and we're like, I right. don't want to do that. Right. Uh, but when, but when we're be pleasing to culture, yes. But when, when we are pleasing to the Lord and people who are spiritual, who can sense spiritual things, you know, the kingdom of God is spiritual in the sense mm-hmm. that Jesus said, you have to be born again to see it. So there are people who are not born again and they cannot see it. They have not become a new creation in Christ. They have not been regenerated. They have not been baptized into the Christian faith. And by, by, by that fact alone, they can't see, um, they can't sense the goodness uh, because it's not discernible to them because they're, they're, they're living, their mind is connected to the things of the earth. So that when a pastor says, I'm going to open up my church because this is an essential service because the salvation of your soul is more important than actually the physical well-being of your body. Mm-hmm. People are like, what? You know, right. it's, it throws right. people for a total loop yeah. um, b- because people are, p- people are looking at the temporal body mm-hmm. as something that is uh, ultimate and, 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 and not something that is temporal. And, th- and they're looking at their soul as something that's temporal as well mm-hmm. when the soul is eternal. So, um, so which is it, very it, yeah. interesting given the cultural moment that we live in, in the sense that, uh, the body often is what is seen as not valuable and to be done with as we please treated as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a hunk of meat or as a machine or whatever the analogy we want to use is. And, yes. and inversely the psyche is treated as what is uh sovereign. Um, sorry, my accountant's calling me. <laughs> the, the psyche is what's treated as it's the uh, devil as the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, she's really yeah. sweet. I love it. Um, is, uh, you know what I'm saying? In the, yeah. in the, I guess kind of the postmodern context, um, and certainly what we see around the discussion of, of gender and, and sexuality. Um, it, it's an interesting opposite in terms of how people have responded to COVID. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Christ says that um, it's better to go into heaven with uh, one eye mm-hmm. than with two, than into hell with two. Mm-hmm. So Jesus talks about the body in a way that is, secondary to the soul in its mm-hmm. order of importance. Mm-hmm. Jesus does not talk about the body as something like a, a, a man. He, he's, Jesus isn't a Manichaean in the sense that he, he believes the body is evil because matter is evil because he's a Gnostic dualist. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a totally separate issue that Define, our culture. I, yeah. Sorry. Just cause I, I'm guessing people won't be uh, super familiar with the, um, the lingo that, that heresy yeah so uh yeah. who's that based off of what are you talking about yeah so manichaeanism was a uh early gnostic heresy in the church uh, uh founded by a guy named manny or mani and um he basically taught that the body it, it, it was founded on a greek uh, dualistic I- approach and idea of nature that there is a uh, there's there are good there's a good force in the universe mm-hmm. and there's an evil force in the universe and they're actually equal mm-hmm. um, but then it gets into a myth- mythological framework where uh, that n- where nature itself has been infected matter itself has mm-hmm. been infected by the evil force and is actually a part of 
the evil force so that matter itself is evil, flesh itself is evil, and it needs to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it needs to be it needs to be uh, purgated. And but but essentially what happens in the flesh doesn't really matter. There's no real moral um framework to what happens in 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 the flesh in the body and you can do whatever you want with the body because in the end it doesn't matter and so this this kind of goes along with Paul's uh uh phraseology in Romans where he's mm-hmm. talking about the flesh mm-hmm. where the flesh is is you know he uses the flesh many times mm-hmm. sarke in order to 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 describe uh the old man mm-hmm. And uh, in, in order in order to describe uh, basically the state of, of depravity that man, man has fallen into. But when Paul says the flesh, he's not talking about actual physical flesh. Right. Um, if, if he was, he would be uh, going against sound doctrine because clearly in John chapter one, verse 14, Jesus, it says that we, uh, Jesus, Jesus, uh, we came and we be, uh, he, he, the word became flesh and we beheld him. Um, and, and so Jesus, Jesus became flesh. That would mean that Jesus himself participated in sin by right. becoming flesh, mm-hmm. participated in, in this Gnostic, you know, evil, uh, and, and that's clearly untrue. Um, so, so all that to say, the early church fathers battled against this this mm-hmm. heresy, this Manichae, Manichaeanism, mm-hmm. um, which is just one aspect for, for, of Gnosticism. It's one aspect of Gnosticism, mm-hmm. although mm-hmm. it did take hold mm-hmm. in 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 a variety of forms, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 uh, it did uh, affect a number of different. Uh, eras within the church for about a thousand years, actually, Mm -hmm. because you find that St. Thomas Aquinas is still battling against it. um, And, uh, and, and it goes all the way up into the Albigensian issue with, uh, I believe that was St. Dominic. And so, so the, the issue is like, it's, it's, you know, and then, and then to be honest, I see forms of Manichaeanism in Calvinism, to be honest with you. Interesting. Uh, Yes, yes. There, there are forms of that um, because it's based on a, you know, it, 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 it is based on this like horrible view of, of, of man. <laughs> this, you know, I, I regard it like, like this total depravity can lead you, the, the doctrine of total depravity can lead you into a, a form of Manichaeanism. And uh, it's a danger. It's it's actually a very dangerous thing. And that's, I think, why the Puritans um, hated anything to do with, um, you know, the, the natural world. Um, right. if, you, and if you look at the Puritans, they were wearing black all the time. Well, if you're not Johnny Cash, you shouldn't be wearing black all the time. <laughs> or uh, if you're not, if, if, if you haven't been abused your entire life, you know, uh, <laughs> You shouldn't be wearing black all the time. Uh, you know, if you haven't grown up in a, in a, in a, you know, sewer or something, you shouldn't be wearing black all the time. Uh, unless you're a, unless you're a, a, a. Are there any other categories where I should not be wearing black all the time? <laughs> unless you live in Nashville and write, yeah, there you go. And write songs for Christian artists. Then you, can um, wear you shouldn't black be wearing time. black all the time. Exactly. So it's like, you're a worship leader. You wear black all the time, mm-hmm. but 
you know, it's just, it's one of those things where the Puritans, they never built cathedrals, right? Uh, and it was, that was intentional. The, the Puritans hated, uh, they hated the thought of giving man glory, mm-hmm. uh, w- which in my opinion is a, you know, kind of a, a, a runoff of an offshoot of Manichaeanism, mm. this, this idea that it's, it's somehow evil to be beautiful. Right. It's somehow evil to have architectural beauty, mm-hmm. which is totally anti-church. I mean, the, the right. church, the church has always uh, uh, valued beauty and given beauty its rightful place. And 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 in the biblical word for beauty is glory. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, in this sense, the church has always been glorious, mm-hmm. and the church has never been afraid of building cathedrals. Uh, by men giving glory to God in this natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so again, you know, that, that's just a long yeah. kind of diatribe on that, but that, yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. know how we got onto that. Well, well, we started with, we started with COVID and <laughs> going into with heaven COVID. with one eye. As a yeah, only, everything, starts, everything starts with COVID now. You know, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Oh, using the body, using, using the body. Right. So, so in the Christian, in the Christian life, so in the Christian life, we, 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 first of all, we value the body in a natural sense. Um, and we, we, we believe as Christians that we should take care of our bodies because, we're, because we're supposed to love ourselves, uh, in a well-ordered way. Um, and a well-ordered self-love is love for the sake of God so that we, we take care of ourselves because we have a, Mm -hmm. we, we have a duty to take care of ourselves, um, a responsibility to take care of ourselves because life isn't a gift in the sense of, you know, I can now do whatever I want. No, no, no. Life is a duty first Mm -hmm. and out of your duty, out of your duty come your rights. And all rights come from duties. So if you if you if you if you abuse your life, you now no longer have a right to rule over your life. Now other people have to rule over you. Um, if you abuse your liberty, now you know how no, no longer have a right to liberty. Now others have to rule over your liberty. And so <clears throat> this is why we have prisons and things like this. But yeah, and even if you go into um, I guess the doctrine of sin, right? When we abuse our liberty, which Christian liberty is freedom to serve God, but when we abuse our liberty to uh, become licentious, then we become slaves to sin. Whoever practices yes. sin becomes a slave to sin. And so we've, we've yes. lost our right to rule over ourselves because we've outsourced it to another power. Um, yes, I, I guess exactly. in Romans, there's sin with a capital S there um, is what's in right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's, that's precisely the issue. And, so, so there's a natural uh, duty that we have as Christians, just based on natural law, to take care of our bodies. Um, that we recognize that that I think you know most civilizations would have recognized. And then, but then there's something also very dynamic that happens in the Christian life where Paul writes to uh, the the Corinthian church, and in First Corinthians three um, and six, he talks about th- that. He talks about the fact that the body is actually at regeneration at the point where you become a Christian. The body is meant 
to be the house of God. Right. The the body is meant to be this mini cathedral. Mm. This mini really it's it's my body at least is a bit of a gothic cathedral. I've got some gargoyles <laughs> going on. <laughs> got some gargoyles going on. So but it's 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 the body is meant to be this temple by which God himself inhabits on earth and, and so you know so sometimes we we say, well, God doesn't, God's not connected to this building. Well, God's connected to this building. Hmm. God's connecting, God is, God is supposed to be connected to my body. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, Paul is explicit and emphatic in his language where he, and, 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 and very severe actually, because he says that if you destroy your body, God will destroy you. Right. Because yeah. you are you are desecrating his temple, you mm-hmm. are polluting his temple, mm-hmm. and so Would, so and yeah, then yeah. He, that that becomes that actually becomes part of the sexual ethic of Christianity. Right. I was say, that becomes a baseline for the Christian's high view of the body. Uh, yes, is that it belongs to the Lord. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and yes, uh, it it cannot be separated from uh, from the soul. So uh, unlike Manichaeism, where uh, the unseen, the immaterial is what's valued um, and the material is what's denigrated in Christianity. Right. Actually, there's a super high view of both. Um, yes. And we see that in our, in our sex ethic today in that the body is, you know, whether it's, it's like a Darwinian worldview that lends itself to, I, this is just like accidental chance, right? That I am here. And so this is just a machine. It's just me I can do with it, whatever I want. Um, that flies in the face of a, of a Christian worldview completely. Completely. Totally agree. Um, and yes. So two points on that, I would just say is that, yeah, like there's the body becomes in Christianity, something valuable Mm -hmm. to, in, in a way that the world does not perceive. So we can talk about the natural law arguments for sexuality that that sex is for procreation that's a that that is an obvious point like that's that's an that's that's based on animal science right Right. that's that's a bio that's a biological point Mm -hmm. um that's not a theological point right um but an important one nonetheless and an important one nonetheless Mm -hmm. although you know i think c.s lewis was the one who noted um that birth control has changed the game on that because when now we can subvert the natural process. It used to be that you could, you know, like there was a consequence for sleeping with a lot of women called, and the consequence was called children. But now through birth control, we can actually totally get rid of that. And through abortion, we can further get rid of that. Mm -hmm. But the issue is um, that consequence, I mean, but so it's, it, that has distorted our view of sex as well. But the uh, the second issue again is that the world doesn't understand when when as Christians we talk about sex in a sacred way, mm-hmm. the world doesn't understand that because the world doesn't understand that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and that we don't want to do anything to pollute the temple mm-hmm. because when we pollute the temple, the Holy Spirit leaves. The Holy, and this is another big point. People don't realize that the Holy Spirit does not stick around when we pollute ourselves. Right. The, the the Holy Spirit isn't sitting there eating popcorn while you're living a, de, a debauched, 
you're having a debauched night. You know what I'm saying? The holy, the holy, he's not just sitting there, you know, like the Holy Spirit is, is given to us, um, in a, in a picture of a dove and a dove does not touch dead things. Mm. A dove, there's no bitterness in a dove. There's because it doesn't have a, a um, uh, it doesn't have an, or, uh, any organ that secretes, um, any bitterness like i think it's a gallbladder that does that mm. the, the the dove is a is a very gentle creature and the, the holy spirit is a very the, the i should say the holy spirit is a very sensitive person mm. and he does not i do not believe that like david himself said take not your holy spirit from yeah. me mm. he knew that when he fell into a state of mortal sin he knew that that he that the holy spirit the anointing that 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 was the thing that determined whether he was king or not mm-hmm. at least the thing that determined whether god was with him as king mm-hmm. or not uh was potentially on the line mm-hmm. and so it's 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 a christian teaching that st- that stems all the way back to paul's emphasis to the corinthians and also that's that goes all throughout the early church fathers uh, uh and up into the scholastics that the holy spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. Mm-hmm. The fire can go out. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit can leave and depart. And so in, in moral theology, many times, I'm sorry, my cat is, is just <laughs> trying to, is it, is cat's it, my, cat, my cat's demonic. So yeah. the cat, when mm-hmm. I start talking about God, right. the cat immediately He's manifesting. Yes, she, she is, she is manifest. She, she, she is evil and she begins to manifest. She tries to block and come in and I just have to pray against her. Yeah. Um, let's go back and, to that. Uh, let's go back to that yeah. point on the Holy Spirit really quick. Cause you bring up an interesting conversation. So obviously the Holy Spirit, Paul teaches us we can grieve the spirit and grieve is a very relational, uh, emotion. Um, and so I guess what I hear you saying is when we've grieved the Holy Spirit through, uh, willful, let's call it willful habitual sin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sense of distance that comes there between us and the spirit. And I think we feel that, right? We feel that in guilt. We feel that in, uh, uh, I guess just in the sense that just something's not right. Right. I, yes, I'm, I'm something's wrong. Um, so, but on the same token, uh, you can't be a Christian without the Holy spirit. Um, right in the sense that nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So how, reconcile those two things for me, because I'm certainly in, I guess my my view, and maybe I'll just purport, put out there what I would say to bring all these things together, and you feel free to just rebuke me or correct me or whatever. Oh. Or, um, <laughs> I, I guess in, in my view, it would be that um, Christians cannot make a practice of sinning. Um, and we see that in 1 John a lot. Uh and when we make a practice of sinning, that's when a more serious distance comes um, between us and the Spirit. Um, and if we go on down that road, there becomes a certain point when we've, I guess, so grieved the Spirit um, and so rebelled against the Father that our salvation kind of becomes in danger, which is what I take the book of Hebrews, you know, to kind of be warning us against Um so to speak. And I, I guess that would be an argument against Calvinism, but um, I, I, is that how you would kind of put those two things together? Because certainly I can't be a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. So just because I sin and grieve the spirit 
he hasn't abandoned me for good. Right. Yes, exactly. So, uh, God, I don't believe that, uh, as long as we live this mortal life, I don't, I do not believe that we are ever abandoned by God. I believe that till the moment of death, God reaches out to us. Um, I do believe the moment of death is the biblical line of separation. Um, you know, in terms of, of, um, you know, Ecclesiastes says that, you know, as a tree, as a tree falls there, it lies. And so it's, it's kind of like this idea that you have this moment during life to, to get yourself right with the Lord, Mm -hmm. to repent. And none of us know when we might die. And so the moment is now and, and the, the time is now to repent. And so we, we call all men to repentance uh, because repentance is a part of the mercy of God mm-hmm. extended to us so that we can change mm-hmm. so that, you know, cause the devil can't repent. There's no repentance for him. He's stuck. So, um, he's so, so in that sense, the fact that we are offered this, this second chance, um, is, is the mercy of God. But when, uh, so God doesn't ever abandon anyone. I do not, be, I do not believe until, until death, there is no, there is, there is no abandoning, uh, but we can abandon God, you see, because this is a two-way relationship. As a Christian. Christ, yes. So, so, uh, you know, p- many times people are like, well, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, you can separate you from the love of God. Mm. Paul never says, Paul never says wow. that you can't yeah. separate you from the love of God. He yeah. goes through every external thing. It's all external. He, mm-hmm. Yes. He goes through all the things that might possibly be obstacles, but he, he never says that you can't do it. The whole admonition of the book of Romans is uh, uh, actually don't separate yourself from the love of God because Romans chapter eight uh, actually does not lead into Romans chapter nine. Um, And and this is a little bit of a textual issue, but Romans chapter eight leads into Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter nine is a parenthesis, nine through 11 is a parenthetical statement that he goes into talking about the implications of what he's just said mm-hmm. uh, 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 as it as it pertains to Israel mm-hmm. and the nation of Israel mm-hmm. uh, and and how that relates to the nation the the Gentile nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 the, so you have to look at the book of Romans as he goes from Romans eight into Romans twelve verse one. Therefore, yeah. therefore, uh, uh, you know. Uh, let us, sorry, my cat is, is, is coming up on me against the devil again. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm a charismatic, but I just believe in these things. So, um, your cat, your cat's a dispensationalist and he doesn't like that. My, you just made nine through 11, the parenthetical. He does not like that. He does not like that. Uh, he's, and, and he's, he's also, he's also very progressive. And so he doesn't believe that what I'm saying, that the Holy spirit can actually, you can separate yourself from, from the love of God. But mm-hmm. all that to say, Paul's, <laughs> Paul's, um, he, my cat believes that everybody gets into heaven. So, ah, um, got it. Yeah, got it. universalist is a universalist yep. cat. So I'm trying to get it saved here. But Jake's discipling me out of those same <laughs> out of those same tendencies. I'm trying to convince Michael <laughs> to stop being a universalist. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so all that, yeah. So all that to say, Paul is trying to say, present yourself because of everything that I've just said in Romans one through eight about the nature of the gospel and this, this, this deep, uh, treatment of it. Yeah. I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, right. which is your now it's reasonable service since since of everything I've said before, right. so that you can be transformed and changed into the image of Christ, so that you be, you can become closer to the Lord. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments and loving God and loving your neighbor and wh- and what what those what what is the implication of those things? So mm-hmm. he's. So, which are aligning yourself with the will of God now that you've now that you have presented yourself, your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, your whole self, spirit, soul, and body, all together, giving it to the Lord. Now you are in alignment with God. Now, now he 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 gives you the moral admonition of of the Book of Romans, the practical side, not just the theoretical, but but the practical implications that everything that he's just said mean. And so what I'm saying is that Romans eight, you know, not separating yourself or or nothing can separate us from the love of God. True. But if, if, if it was true that you couldn't separate yourself from the love of God, then why would he go into the practical admonition of Romans 12, 13 and 14, 15 and 16? Why would he go into all of these things telling us to uh, you know, arm arm ourselves with light and and walk as children of light and 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 put away the darkness and and get and be be very explicit on moral um on moral imperatives. Mm-hmm. Why would he do that if if we were all good, nothing could separate us? Then then why the why the the um exhortation to live a holy life? Mm-hmm. Well, I I think the exhortation comes because we because we can separate ourselves if we are not in alignment. If we don't walk in the light, we are lying lying to ourselves, as John says. Mm-hmm. If we don't walk in the light, we walk in darkness, and we're we're deceiving ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this the, the fact that God reaches out to us and loves us, and nothing can separate us from His love, does not mean that it is not a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. So it is. It, I believe that the love of God is a two-way street in the sense that He initiates. So I'm not a Pelagian. God initiates. You don't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The Lord initiates his grace to you. And mm-hmm. without him, we can do literally nothing. nothing. So mm-hmm. every single thing is initiated by God to us, including salvation. Mm-hmm. But but we have to respond. Mm-hmm. We have to respond. So when the when Paul also says, you know, Paul says these statements, and sometimes people twist them, but it's like he says in 2 Corinthians, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Mm-hmm. Well, does that mean that everybody gets saved because everybody's reconciled? No, clearly there are people who, like responded. Judas, mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's take Judas for an example. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly Jesus is trying to reconcile Judas. Jesus is trying to love Judas. Jesus is reaching to Judas, trying to say, hey, I love you, Judas. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've chosen you. Jesus, Jesus himself said in John chapter six, I have chosen 12 of you. Mm-hmm. So he chose Judas, but Judas did not choose him. 
Judas did not respond. I, I mean, Judas did choose to follow, but Judas did not choose to continue to follow. And so there is a apostasy is real. Falling away is is real. And that is what the book of Hebrews is talking about. That, that you know, the, the book of Hebrews is warning after warning after warning. I think there are seven like official warnings within the book of Hebrews saying, you know, using Israel as an example, saying God chose Israel and called them up out of Egypt, saved them from from Egyptian darkness, say, baptized them through through the the the, uh, the Red Sea, and gave them the law, gave them made covenant with them, mm-hmm. and then that same generation that He made covenant with, He said, "You will never enter into My rest." Mm-hmm. Mm. They fell, they turned away from God's final will and ultimate goal, which was the promised land. Mm-hmm. This is so good. And I mean, it's such of it, you know, even listening to it, it, it does sound just like very, what a lot of us would just say, like classic, basic Christian doctrine, Christian thinking, Christian teaching, um, which I love. Part of what I love about you guys is this is the stuff that you guys say that a lot of people aren't saying, you know, whether it be like a ma- mainstream church pastor or whether it be the super progressive Christian. And you guys have just continued to um, keep talking about these themes and doubling and tripling down on them as you've kind of launched the issue for, for, you know, since the beginning. And what I find funny is you guys, um, you kind of get it from both sides sometimes, right? Like you, you I don't know if you guys know this, which I'm <laughs> sure you do. The, the progressive Christians, um, well, they despise the Finocchio brothers. Like, I mean, like, like, I mean, I, I've, I think I reposted something from your brother recently and, and I checked and it was literally somebody writing me paragraphs about how, you know, he is a white supremacist and he preaches white supremacist theology. And, and, and and then I guess you had something on an Instagram, maybe on your Instagram profile where did you call yourself schizophrenic or something? And, and, and do you know what I'm talking about? And all the yeah, progressive Christians a- got really angry. Um, yeah. Yeah. My favorite move, my favorite movie is what about Bob or sorry, my, it's my favorite comedy. Uh, yep. and, and so you were what about Bob with yeah. Bill Murray? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's a movie about a, a kind of a, a crazed lunatic that in the end, well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's amazing. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Comedy is it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Well, comedy is now dead because I can't laugh at, at one of the greatest comedies of the 90s. Right. And so, th- you know, this movie um, talks, it's a mental health movie. Right. But it's kind of, it's a movie about mental health, but it, it, it's a movie that, that, um, that in that sense, um, clearly my cat is not a Bill Murray fan, so <laughs> she has to go. But the idea is that you know we've we have we have destroyed comedy by saying we can't joke about things we can't right. take things lightly and yeah there's a there's a, a joke that bill murray tells in the film uh which you would never be able to retell it, <laughs> which is uh you know uh, roses are red um violets are blue i'm a schizophrenic and so am i and so <laughs> i thought I think that's a funny joke. Which you'd never joke. be able to retell and then goes on to retell it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Bill Murray could never retell it. <laughs> right. Bill Murray, Bill Murray would have to like write an apology. Yes. And, right. you know, he would, be, he would be canceled. Of course he would. And 
you know, the funny thing is he tells the joke at a, a psych ward. He tells he tells <laughs> the joke. He's telling the joke to right. all these psych workers. Right. And uh, it's in the film. It's hilarious. So it shows you and it's a joke. And anybody that I explain that to that gets it. And they're like, oh, OK, I thought you were trying to be offensive. I'm like, no, dude, it's a you know, it's a joke from a movie. I should just put Bill Murray, you know, right. if you have a problem with credit. this, right. Yeah, write write your letters, your your essays to Bill Murray complaining right. about it. But send yeah. your anthrax to him. But it's funny. So. I mean, you guys get all of this. I mean, you guys are the subject of a lot of angry internet, especially in the progressive Christian space. And what you guys have done is essentially just doubled down. Like, are you? Do you run the woke Jesus uh, Instagram meme account? Is that you? <laughs> Well, kind of. Uh, yeah, that's it, your yeah, intern. Is that your intern that it runs? It started with Jesus? you. It started with you, and then all of a I sudden, wish, an account was created. <laughs> I wish I had an intern. Actually, if you know anybody, let me know. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I I did start that account, and um, you know, I don't know. I might get deleted because I've had I've had three warnings, three strikes. Oh, that's right. Against They're me already. You. They're reporting but, you. Yeah, but but they're, people are reporting me. You know, it's so it seems like you guys are really um well, you're you're saying, hey, we exist to really, you know, do some deep teaching, help people really understand why they believe what they believe in the Christian space. But also it does now seem like uh I don't want to use the word coming after because I don't think that's what your intentions are, but a lot of what you guys are saying is in direct contrast to a lot of these um people out there who would label themselves a progressive Christian or people who are in the deconstruction space. Um, yeah. And it seems like a lot of what you, both you and Nathan talk a lot about is that. So can you maybe just, uh, and I know we have a lot of people that listen to this that have even, even, you know, asked questions about this thing. So when it comes to like progressive Christianity, what would you say, like, tell me like I'm, you know, a, a toddler with, you know, a, a middle school education. Uh, what is progressive Christianity? What are some of the basic tenets of that? Like, how do I spot that? Um, and what's dangerous about it? Yeah, uh, I would say the two big things to look for um, are the the idea that Christianity, it's a religious relativism, the idea that Christianity is just one religion among many religions, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't matter which one you choose, in the words of Julian Casablancas, um, uh, lead singer of The Strokes, mm. greatest rock band of all time. <laughs> no, um but it's it's like this i this notion that you know he he's guilty of it you know in the song he's like you know it th- there's a there's a thousand odd religions too and it doesn't matter which one you choose that's that's really the chief tenet because if it doesn't matter which one you choose then why choose any it's a joke mm-hmm. you've reduced you've reduced christianity to some you know you know uh ice cream flavor mm-hmm. 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 And and people who are like I just don't want to get fat they don't eat, they don't eat ice cream right mm-hmm. and so and then it, and then it's just like oh yeah you just want to get fat which is why you're going to church you just need that you know you need God you need religion you know and it's like well yeah we do need God and we do need religion but not because of some emotional reason that we're just you know eating our feelings or something but the idea mm-hmm. here is it's actually a rational religion christianity it 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 reduces christianity again down to this um this absurd um uh you know outlier in mm-hmm. life so it reduces christianity to a sideshow 
right? Mm-hmm. So that Christian. So again, Christianity is just one religion among other religions, and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't have to. You don't. You you don't have to. You know, worry about it. You and know, it's not. That, it's not a. How is that brought to bear theologically? Well, it's brought to bear theologically because if you believe that Christianity. I'm sorry. Hold on. Can you rephrase that? Because I'm trying to. I'm going to go in a direction, but I'm not sure if that's that's the direction you wanted no, me to I, go in. I think I think you took my question correctly. Essentially, if that's my belief that uh, it, in yes, you know, Christianity is just one of many religions, and it doesn't matter which one you choose. And I still call myself. Right. A, I still call myself a Christian. You know, which is what progressive Christians call themselves. Um, how is that going to be brought to bear on my theology as a so-called Christian? How am I going to view the Bible? You're gonna. Ha- yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna go into a phase of spiritual, not religious. Um, you're gonna you're gonna which is gonna lead you into a you know you're gonna read a lot of Richard Rohr, <laughs> uh, and then you'll you'll eventually probably read Bart Ehrman, and then and, and then and then you'll and then you'll just go through your house looking for Bibles to throw out and burn. I love um, how specific you are. That's so great. You're gonna start with Richard Rohr. You're gonna go to. Bart <laughs> It's just and then you're gonna start like burning downward. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, and then you're gonna look for answers outside of the physical or the material, the spiritual world, and, and you're gonna begin to look in for answers probably more in a materialistic, you know, monism, monism, you know, where it's just like this is kind of really all we're given, guys. You know, we just got one life to live mm-hmm. and uh, make the best of it, and let's try to make the world a better place, you know. Right. And then you're gonna you're going to think that you're going to, you're going to change the world and make it a better place by environmentalism or by, uh, you know, I don't know, social justice, exactly. Uh, You know, economic theories that don't make sense. And, and, and so basically devoting your life, even philanthropy in, in many cases is, is this, I, this notion that the world is all there is and this is all we're here to do. And, there's no, you know, so let's just start a soup kitchen, you know, mm-hmm. let's just, mm-hmm. let's just do this kind of thing where we can just help people on, on a material level. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those are like, again, I think that's all good because Christianity includes a lot of that. But mm-hmm. anyway, the point is, is simply, it's just a lack of faith in God, because what ends up happening is once you, once you, the whole point of um, Christianity is that it keeps us from worshiping idols Mm. And basically what happens is when you become an atheist, you become stupid first (laughs) (laughs) because God, because God actually helps you. That's not an inappropriate thing to say that Proverbs that says people (laughs) have said in their heart, there is no God. (laughs) That's true. I mean, it it, is true. That was just a translation. It's a Gabe Pinocchio translation. It's I'm just cutting to the chase because sin makes, sin makes you stupid and you begin to, do things that are against natural law, against reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, Thomas Aquinas once said that all sin is against reason. Mm-hmm. So philosophically, so now that's not the primary reason why we don't sin is because it's irrational. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary reason why we don't sin is because we don't want to offend God. We, we, we want to love the Lord and we don't want to offend him because of, again, this relational issue. Right. Um, that's, the, that's the theological reason why we shouldn't sin because we love God, but, but the, uh, philosophical reason why we shouldn't sin is because it's irrational. It's, it's against reason. Sinning is, is 
ultimately self-destructive and suicidal because you're destroying yourself. Sin is against nature uh, by its very nature. It's against the moral order of the universe. And so it's just, it's trying to like destroy a perfectly fine machine that works fine. You know, it's like driving your car into a wall, you know, or into oncoming traffic or something like that. It's like, why would you do that? Cars are not made for that. Cars are made to be driven on roads, you know, and to be taken care of as, you know, well-oiled machines. So, that's the moral order of the universe and sin just kind of just throws a crowbar and all of that. So mm-hmm. all, all of that to say, though, uh, when we become when we when we remove God as the ultimate authority in the universe, what we what we actually do is we place ourselves into that category in, in an ultimate sense. Um, temporarily, we may place other things there. So because the vacuum needs to be filled. So we need to and, and we, we are we are built to worship things. We are built to to love things, um, which is the way God made us. But when we take our love for God uh, and our in our authority, the authority that God has for us or has over us and we displace that and we disorder that we displace it and disorder it into other things. And so that's the nature of idolatry is to give to things and cre- creation the 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 worship that is only to be given to God, uh, the creator. And so so all that to say the ultimate form of idolatry is self-worship. Uh, and and that's what we see in Satan. Satan was the ultimate idolater, really the first idolater, but his self-worship was was the epitome of idolatry and the epitome of sin because it was rooted in pride. And what we see in our culture right now, I think, is pride. We see, um, you know, obviously without, you know, it's kind of obvious there's a movement called pride uh, that is making uh, making rainbows, uh, in the church. And, um, and, and the issue is it's all, it's all rooted in this notion that we can do whatever we want Mm -hmm. because we love ourselves. And, And it's, it's a self love movement. That is, that's what I think progressive Christianity, another marker of progressive Christianity is humanism. It's mm-hmm. it's this notion that we dethrone the authorities around us, starting with with the authority of God, and we and then we we move on to the authority of of natural law, mm-hmm. and then we move on to the authority of of the scripture, and then we move on to the authority of the church. <laughs> Until the only we authority throw, left is self. The only authority left is yes, me yeah. and my my way of, of life. And and the interesting thing is that this heresy, as all heresies, is true to a degree. Heresy is all heresies take a truth and then twist it, right? And so um, they they as Chesterton said, they a heresy hides all the other truths. It's one truth wow. that hides all the other truths, mm. and so. Uh, so you'll 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 be in conversation with someone and they'll be like, well, don't you think that we, you know, have ha- that God's given us authority or they'll say something like that. Like, aren't don't you think that humans have dignity? And it's like, of course they do. Right. Of course they do. Yes. So we go we go with them to this to, to this point 
but then past a point, it becomes twisted. Mm -hmm. It becomes um, out of context. It becomes out of alignment with Mm -hmm. the other truths Mm -hmm. within Christianity and order matters. See, that's the other, that's the other issue. Order matters. So within theology, order matters. So there is an order to the authorities of the universe. Mm. To and, and we begin with God. We don't begin with nature, as as uh, you know, Jefferson even began with God before na- before nature. And so mm-hmm. there is a, you know, all things come from God. So all that to say. Um, that's another marker is humanism this 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 movement towards exalt, the exaltation of man so you can call it secular humanism if you'd like but i like you know i i i just like humanism because it's just to the point it's it's this worship of man that man is the measure of all things we can do anything we want provided technology allows us right mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if and if technology doesn't allow us we're going to work as hard as we can so that technology will eventually allow us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How would, <laughs> how would Frankenstein? Say, yeah. How would you say? I mean, I think you know most of us can can spot some of this stuff when we're looking at really obvious progressive, uh, whether it be you know speakers, writers, outlets. How do you think that? Um, what would be some ways that you think? sort of a more progressive theology has found its way into what we would consider more of a mainstream church? Like, are there some undercurrents that you see right now? Um, how would we spot those? And what do those messages tend to tend to look like? Uh, within the church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the number one thing uh, within the church is a total lack of proper understanding of um, objective truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people are taught how to think. Um, I don't think people, when you are taught how to think, you are taught how to think properly about reality. And I, I don't believe, I, I, really, I really, really think that pastors need to read more philosophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know mm-hmm. that that, sound, that does not sound spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, well, tell me, you know, tell, give me a book to read. I'm like, um, Socratic logic by Peter Kreeft. You know, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, they're expecting me to say, you know, so, you know, I don't know. So quote some mystic, you know, like practicing the presence of God by brother <laughs> Lawrence. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you can read practicing the presence of God by brother Lawrence. You know, that's great. Do it. You know, read dark night of the soul too. And read, you know, right. the imitation of Christ and all this other wonderful mystic literature that is devotional. But, if you don't know how to think, yeah. you're gonna you're not going to understand how to properly divide the word of truth. Yeah. Because if you don't know what truth is, you can't engage it. You can't yeah. actually recognize it. Truth is something that we that so the Bible is read through the lens of truth. The language the language that is used in scripture, language like goodness, truth. Uh, uh, you know, these languages, these words that are used are words that are are philosophical terms. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is, if you don't believe in objective truth, if you if you don't believe that there is a reality outside of the reality that you want there to be, Mm -hmm. that there is an ultimate reality to life, if, if you don't believe that, you are at you are not going to understand what the Bible is saying. Mm, right. 
all of all of the early church fathers believed in in objective truth. They believed that cer- that certitude was possible, right. which is why they were so certain <laughs> about their debates on the hypostatic union of Christ. Mm. Like when you look at when you look at the early church debates on 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 who Jesus was, they are literally arguing about uh, about like prefixes and suffixes in Greek words, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. you know, like, the, yeah. the, like, is it homoousian? You know, is it like, what, is, what is the word? What is the, what is the exact precise, uh, word that we're trying to use? Because they believed that words meant, meant something, right? They believed that words were connected to things. And that is the that is that is the sign of a rational person. Yeah. Right? So when I when I when I use the word cat, I'm talking about a thing walking around, a demonically possessed thing walking around my house, mm-hmm. right? So words are the product of logic. And so this is why C.S. Lewis writes he, he, C.S. Lewis wrote this book in I believe 1943 called The Abolition of Man. Mm-hmm. And the whole book is about language. The premise of the book is about language. Uh, and and the, the idea here is that he's saying, he starts out with an analogy that this, 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 um, basically this high school or, you know, what we would consider to be like a high school element or, um, uh, pre, uh, pre high school, uh, school, elementary school, middle school was teaching their children in logic was that, if you look at a waterfall and you think that the waterfall is is whatever you want it to be, that's equal to the person that looks at a waterfall and properly describes it. Hmm. And he's like, if he starts with that analogy and he says, if you if we allow this in our education system, right, it's going to destroy the human race. Yeah. <laughs> like it's going to destroy our civilization mm-hmm. because what's going to happen is that people are going to walk around forming their truth. Right. And that is where we are. Uh, and you see that obviously that is in the where conversation we are around gender um, <laughs> and uh, it's no identity, identity in general. It's no um, it's no accident that uh, progressive theology uh, rejects wholesale, I would say, objective reality and objective truth. Yes, um, because as far as I understand it, it, it is kind of part of the postmodern reaction to rational thinking. And I guess kind of their condemnation upon Orthodox Christianity is that Orthodox Christianity values truth and values rationale. And that is that is rooted in the idea that we believe that God created the cosmos and therefore the cosmos can be studied and understood and we can participate right. in things like natural law. Um, exactly. And uh, so... I think a lot of times what I see happening nowadays is there's a is such a postmodern condemnation and then by extension a postmodern condemnation not just on the west but on christianity in general um but i think what people fail to to see christians who are maybe going along with this but don't really know why they're going along with it they're just going along with it maybe coming back to that fear of man point but i think what they what those christians often fail to see is that uh the, the context that we live in, in many respects, and not to say that the West is is uh, beautiful in every way, but in many respects, respects the context that we live in is a byproduct of, of Christianity and that 
the the natural outcome of Christian thinking will be rational thought. Yes. Which is the antithesis of postmodern. Nothing is objective. There are no universal truths. Right. And therefore Christianity becomes bigoted because I maintain a, a belief in a universal truth and and hold to that universal truth even though it quote unquote hurts somebody's feelings. Yes, exactly. I totally agree with you. I mean, look, a lot of this is fallout from the Reformation and we do have to come to terms with that. Um, we, we, you know, in, as Christians, we have to realize that 500 years ago, we got a big knock on the head and we've been staggering. We've been staggering from side to side ever since. And so what you see is all of these, these reactions against reactions, against reactions, against reactions. And you see this in the philosophical world. You see this in the scientific world. You see this in the social world the political world, um, because we do have to come back to a conversation about authority. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, there is no life without authority. Mm-hmm. Authority, you know, to be, to, 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 uh, to recognize authority is to recognize an author. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is the key for all of life. And so, so at some point we have to come back to, these these questions about authority and we have to choose wisely uh once again how we are going to um the 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 authority that we appeal to because if we do not appeal to authority um we are going to be left with either anarchy or tyranny right Those, those are the only three phases of the nature of life you have anarchy or tyranny. You have the anarchy of the spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters, you know, where there's, it's kind of unformed and it's a, it's kind of a glob and a mess. And then the Lord speaks into it by his authority and brings these things together and and creates uh, life. Uh, Or you have the tyranny of Satan, which says, I am the the author of, of life, you know, and I am the one who can defy the authority of God and the, defy the authority of natural law, defy the authority of special uh, special revelation, defy the authority of the church, um, you know, defy the authority of the conscience. And so the, these, the, we, I mean, and the baby boomers, you know, really kicked this off quite well for us all. You know, it's like, I actually think that the kids are so not okay. And it is so horrible. Like the baby boomer kids, the baby boomers were bad. They were bad. Like they were, they, they were genuinely horrible people. And they, no, just, I, I mean that. We need to just we just need to get rid of this idea that the sex revolution, the, the hippie revolution was some peace, love, right. and happiness thing. Yeah. It wasn't. It was a complete and total defiance of authority. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. A complete and totally irrational, um uh slavish cultural movement um that that was rooted in um Gnostic belief about the self mm-hmm. uh, and, and just a total rejection mm-hmm. of Christian civilization yep. and, and uh, really a bastardization of it. And, mm-hmm. but, but if you, and, and I, I can tell you the reason why I say that is because their children are worse than they are. Their children, <laughs> like mm-hmm. they, <laughs> like if, if our civilization is, is, you know, like if we are decaying, they, they, they are the ones with like, 
a, a, a kind of really bad rash on their back. Their kids have leprosy. You know, it's like their kids are like missing noses and, you know, it's like I'm like you try to when you try to engage the children of baby boomers, they are they they there's no engagement, which is why, to be honest with you, I'll be quite honest here. The reason why we've doubled down at Theosu mm-hmm. is because things aren't getting better. Right. Guys, mm-hmm. things are getting worse. Yeah. And they're only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. We are in the middle of a cultural culture war, yep. which I believe is a cult war. Mm-hmm. It is a war between Christianity, ultimately, yep. and barbarism. It I is, a, it is a, a war. Really fair way yeah. to put it. And I think a lot of the times, well, the reason people don't understand the level of intentionality and maybe even what is uh, uh, could be perceived as severity at times in the argument from... Um, uh, this podcast at times and then certainly theosu and and other great christian thinkers um not to put ourselves in that category at all but um is we are not refuting uh uh a um a set of slightly different thinkers we are refuting another religion Mm. progressive christianity it is another religion it is not christianity and i'm I'm not overstating the case by describing it that way um and there is a reason, and you made this reference earlier, and people might have thought it was funny, but a lot of times progressive Christianity does lead into atheism. It does lead into secular humanism. Um, and so this is, this is not a small thing. It is, it is very detrimental to um, uh, people's faith, and uh, it needs to be refuted with a great degree of uh, passion. <laughs> well, it's just, it just needs to be recognized, the state, like... If I get, if I see a fire, I'm going to be like, there's a fire in the room. Like, I'm not going to lose my mind, you know, but I'm going to be like, things are burning here. Things are on fire, you know? And I think, I think that we're dealing with, uh, we're, 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 we're dealing with a bit of a dumpster fire mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's catching on to the, you know, the, the things around it. And I, I just, I don't want to see things be destroyed any more than anybody else does because, you know, like, you know, we're just, we're living through, an, we're, we're, we're living, we're basically pro- continuing to progress off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I want to stop the progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, progressive, progressive Christianity does not admit, in my opinion, that, pro- that progress can never be regress, mm-hmm. that progress can never be uh, something bad. You know, they, 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 they worship progress. They think that there's no possible way that they think that while individuals can, can sometimes regress, you know, collectively their faith in humanity leads them to believe that humanity is never wrong, that humanity always progresses and always goes into the, into the direction of an ideal. And it's simply not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm willing to admit that, that humanity progresses as long as it, as long as people admit that it progresses backwards, you know, it's like, <laughs> as long as it's admitted that it, that, that you can regress, that you can go back to barbarism, because that's essentially what I think we're doing. I think we're, we're going into a dark age if we're not there already, where <clears throat> there's a retrogression in, uh, intellectual power where people cannot properly think mm-hmm. and they're not taught how to think. And what they're done is what what's done is they are spoon fed propaganda mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that 
you know, like like you can take take the abortion issue. Yeah. If you engage if you engage people on the abortion issue, and I, I I do because I do think that the abortion issue is the primary political issue and moral issue of our time. Mm-hmm. Not who not who is president, but who is who is murdering children mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to the rate of sixty million in the last uh, fifty years. So it's like I, I think that I think that that's the issue. If you take a look at that issue alone as the primary issue, people, people, they've been so propagandized. They do not, they can, they can think scientifically about, about computers. You, you take a person who, who can build a computer laptop or, you know, like a, like a, an iPad or whatever, and they work in computer software engineering or whatever. And then you translate, you try to, you try to take their, their mind and think and to think logically about abortion and it's impossible mm-hmm. it's not possible for the same person who is who is capable of incredible uh technological feats can't actually think philosophically mm-hmm. well that tells me that that person has been reduced to a robot that person has been reduced to a to a slave they they have one job in life and that is to make ipads mm-hmm. not to think about abortion not to think not to think about anything greater than what they are professionally trained to do i think it comes back to your point about authority right and that it is an outcome of identity politics in the sense that if that you know uh, engineer of the ipad happens to be a male then they have they have no quote-unquote uh they have no authority to speak on the subject Mm -hmm. because they're not a woman um, but that is a complete and total epistemic fallacy and totally um, it's, it's, it's absolute garbage. And what it does is it just cuts us out of the knees to be able to have any kind of intellectual discussion about important issues. Um, exactly. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, a great trick the devil's pulled on our society. Yes. Because of, because in these situations, um, we, you know, there, there, there has essentially been a hostile takeover of, of the institutions of authority by which people would normally learn how to think, mm-hmm. you know, so the university yeah. system, uh, you know, we can, they, like, it's well-documented, mm-hmm. you know, that uni- universities have generally gone off the deep end, mm-hmm. especially in their humanities departments, mm-hmm. which is where people learn how to think. Mm-hmm. The philosophy doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically what's happening is, you know, and then you have government being taken over. uh, You have media being taken over. You have all these institutions where people looked uh, to these, trusted these institutions and still do for, for the, you know, to receive truth from these people. And there's, and it's just not being done. So the substitute is propaganda. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this, ability to control the masses by falsifying the the interpretation of facts and in the case and, of abortion uh the child is not a person is the propaganda yes mm-hmm. yes so we even control if the language they are admitting to admit, admit that they are a human right <laughs> yeah they're not a person yeah mm-hmm. yeah so it's it, but it's like it, but it, it, honestly if you if you engage with the average kid going through high school who's been indoctrinated in, by the propaganda of Planned Parenthood or the propaganda of just their 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 public high school, um, they will tell you the, that same thing. You can't have a conversation with them because 
they've been told they can't learn because they've, they already know. Mm-hmm. And they already know because they've been told by their authority, right. the school. Right. They've been told by Planned Parenthood, the authority on mm-hmm. birth, you know, yeah. it was like whatever it is, they, they, they won't even listen. They won't even listen to the science behind i mean and look at and, and it, it's happening not even just with abortion it's happening with transgenderism right Gender it's is a spectrum. All, yes so it's like all of these things are being it's 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 not actual rational thought out okay this is this is the first principle and we deduce from this what it is is it's propaganda. It's we tell you what to believe, and you believe it because we're in charge, mm-hmm. and and that and 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 it's and it's sold in a way obviously that appeals to the individual, um, so so that it, it's you know this is for your good, and this is this is something that you want, and it does appeal to the the base animal instinct of a person to not want to be responsible because animals naturally aren't. My cat is not a responsible uh, person. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the only thing I can trust my cat to do is, um, is knock my iPad off of my desk and and crack the screen. (laughs) Totally trust it every time. Yeah. Um, So it is what it is. The more that we, so the appeal is to this animal instinct and, and, and that animal instinct can be controlled. But the, the idea here is that the animal part of us, the animal nature is not the image of God. Um, and that's a, that's a philosophical distinction. Um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, he, he makes the distinctions between souls and there are vegetative souls like plants. There are sensory souls, sensitive souls like animals and then there are rational souls and we are a rational soul. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the distinction there is the word is, is the word rational. We have been given the image of God, which is the mind, mm-hmm. which is the, and the mind is the intellect and the will together. And that intellect and will that free will that we've been given is the image of God in us. That's the mind. And so Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind in Christianity is so important. And anything that attacks the ability to receive truth through the intellect and then act upon it in the will is actually an attack upon the image of God in man and reducing man to something lower than himself, a beast. Mm. I think too, and so, image of God yeah. conversation, it, like the... The biblical command to um, to be fruitful and to multiply and to take dominion is is to essentially participate with the transcendent reality that God has created. It is to acknowledge right. that there is truth uh, to be partnered with. Um, yes, and to me that speaks to the made in the image of God uh, conversation just as much as we want to personalize that you know, about what makes us distinct as humans in terms of what makes us in the image of God. I think it is the things that you're talking about. And it is also the fact that we were created to do as God created us to do, which requires us to, again, appeal to a higher authority than us, mm-hmm. um, which is God and God's reality and to live within that reality. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. I mean, to know God through contemplation is an act of the intellect, right? But then to to obey God through the will, 
to obey God and align your life with God, to follow God. Jesus says, follow me. Well, in order to follow that, my will has to be involved. Mm. So the, the mind through the mind is, is, is our highest function. And so, you know, that's, that's why truth is such an important thing. Mm -hmm. John writes in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the logos Mm -hmm. and the logos was with God and the logos was God. Notice that he uses Greek language there. He's John is a Jew using Greek language. Why? Why is he describing Jesus as this logos? Because because he's writing to show people that Jesus is the truth. Mm. And that word means everything in that word is, is light, all the light in the world, all of reality. You know, another word for truth is reality. Jesus is reality. And when we reject Jesus, we reject reality and we make ourselves an enemy of reality. And that's why you see so much destruction taking place and you see suicide taking taking place. In people who have rejected reality, they kill themselves. I mean, th- life and death are, 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 are literally at stake here because reality is at stake. And, and so Christian history has always embraced the logos, embraced the truth as, as Jesus is the truth. Mm-hmm. He points us to truth mm-hmm. and we participate, as you said, we participate in the truth of the logos. Mm-hmm. And that logos becomes the operative word throughout all Christian history. And it changes the world. And it, and that's the thing that changes the world and makes it a better place. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's as you said, you said earlier in the conversation, um, which I wholeheartedly agree with, that we are the... All of the great things that have, have been accomplished in the West have been accomplished in a Christian civilization. Mm-hmm. And what what we're witnessing is the degeneration of that Christian civilization. What we're, 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 what we're witnessing is, is the destruction of, like, not to, again, not to say that the West is perfect. It's no, not. Far from it. Uh, far from it, right. There are things that we can legitimately talk about uh, in in particular that we could criticize and and maybe even disagree on but as but as a in a general sense we are the product of our faith like right. literally we are the product of Christendom we already came if anybody reads church history or the history of Western civilization you have to understand that we came through a dark age of mm-hmm. 500 years after Augustine and and basically from about, you know, 500 AD to 1000 AD, there was a long period where people forgot how to build bridges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like they go from like this amazing Roman civilization to not even knowing how to like fix things. Mm. <laughs> and so things just, this is like, Degrade. yeah, bridge broke down yesterday. I guess we can't cross it anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, don't have. Yeah, because we don't have an architect because there's no schools around here because everything's decaying. Mm-hmm. And it's like the idea here is that we've already been through a dark age. And I love that St. Augustine, you know, like he writes the city of God in the face of this. And he's just like, mm-hmm. look, there is a higher there is a higher loyalty. There is a higher city, the city of God. There is a there is a um, there's hope. 
even in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so we, what, what I what I would never want to do is give people this impression that we're fatalists or that yeah. we're uh, nihilists or that we're somehow skeptical. We're just, we're, we're hopeless people. No, it's quite the opposite. Actually, it's quite the opposite. And I think yeah. that's a, a great way to wrap up the conversation is um, essentially we have, we have two options here, right? It is, it is, excuse me, light, sneeze, sneeze, not coming. <laughs> it is, it is theism or it is nihilism. Um, it, and in the sense that, and, and I, I put it that way, theism instead of atheism, because I think the, at the end of the day, the, the step from either, uh, a, uh, rational atheism or a postmodern atheism eventually is going to land in a, a nihilistic view and it's just, it's, things are meaningless, right? And therefore I can, right. just, I can make meaning however I want it to be. And I can, I can project what I feel on the inside onto life. And that's obviously where we're at in this uh, postmodern moment, all the discussions around gender and identity and whatnot. But the, that is hopelessness to me. And I only see that yes. going towards hopelessness. And I think yes. as, as brash as sometimes uh, uh, you guys might come across and um, uh, other thinkers might come across, it is ultimately in the direction of hope in that we are appealing, trying to appeal people to come back to uh, uh, the, the admission that God is real. Um, and that if we live, if we truly live in light of that belief and in light of that fact, um, then hope is what follows as we live God's way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, we are, we're trying to, uh, yeah, we're, we're, as I said earlier, we're going to a, the end, the edge of a precipice. And, you know, I think Chesterton said that when two men are at the edge of a precipice, the one who, who, the one who loves, uh, the optimist is the one who takes a step back and the pessimist is the one who keeps on being progressive. Wow. And so, and so I don't want to be progressive. I don't, in the sense of, I don't want to keep walking if, if walking forward means suicide for, for our civilization, I don't want to keep walking forward. If, if walking forward means the destruction of the, of the, the family, um, and, and, yep. and the destruction of gender and, and identity, very identity of, of mankind, mm-hmm. you know, like we're, we're, we're at, we're at this point where it's like, we're just denying everything. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I want to affirm everything. Mm-hmm. And that's really, to be honest with you guys, again, it's not going to get easier. Yep. What's going to happen is we are going to have to, to we, ha- we, ha- we have to move into a position where we are, uh, if, if everything is being denied, then everything has to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. We have to, like, if people deny that the grass is green, then right. we have to say, no, the grass right. is green. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like, mm-hmm. it, and, and we're going to have to have battles over that. Like that's going to have to happen because we are dealing with this bottomless skepticism Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, and it really is a free fall. And I refused, I refuse to be a part of that, um, you know, just as a point of honor, Mm -hmm. but also because it's, it's, it, it, it is so, uh, antithetical to everything that we've ever known. 
and loved. And, and, you know, if you love something, you defend it. If you love something, you fight for it. If you love your wife, you're going to defend her. You're going to fight for her. If you love your family, you're going to love her and love them and defend them. And I love the truth. I love the truth. I love my faith Mm -hmm. and I love, and I love Christ. I love Christianity and I love Christendom. I love what we've been able to do. And I, and I, I would say I love all three of those things in that order. <laughs> and so, and so it, because all three, all three of those things, in my opinion, come from each other. Yep. And so I'm, I'm not going to just sit here and watch everything be lit on fire by people who, um, who them, they themselves are hopeless. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so there's no hopeless, there's no hope in destroying everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's only hope in, in going back to our first principles mm-hmm. in going back to Christ. And in my opinion, that's why, in my opinion, the church has the answer. Yeah. Politics doesn't have the answer. Yep. It's mm-hmm. not as Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill famously, it would always say, it's not who's in the, it's not who's in, in the white house. That's going to change America. It's who's in God's house. Mm. God's house is, 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 is the thing that changes the white house. When John Wesley came and George Whitfield came uh, and and created a revival, great awakening in America, that great awakening led to 1776. It was John Wesley's uh, preaching by horseback in all the cities in uh, in the colonies, going and seeing hundreds of thousands of people saved uh, through evangelism. A real and not just evangelism, but a but uh, a rededication of their lives to the Lord and to the purposes of God. A true revival. That's what we need. We need revival in our churches. Mm-hmm. We need to come. We need to come to church with fire. We need to come to church reviving dead hearts. Mm-hmm. Because much of this, I will say, guys, much of this is because of the apathy of Christians, the apathy of, of, of our own generation of, of, of Christians. And so I want to, there are so many people who, who could be on fire in their passion and zeal and earnestness for the faith that are just not. Mm. And I want to see those, those fires rekindled. So I'm believing, I'm believing that the the church has the answer, which is Jesus, Mm -hmm. the gospel, but that, that within the church, there is a revival Mm -hmm. Not, not that that begins to evangelize, mm-hmm. but there's got to be a revival in the church yeah. before there's an evangelism Something in the world. To even call people to, and I think yes, um, and we'll just wrap it up with this. I think that that is not mutually exclusive from the idea of of pursuing truth and biblical doctrine. I think if anything, the soul craves truth, and when when truth is preached and when proper biblical doctrine is preached, I think that ignites people mm-hmm. more than excitement more than fanfare, more than loud music. And trust me, I love excitement. I love loud music. Like I'm a, likewise, I'm a charismatic with a capital C bro. Like I'm I'm all (laughs) into it. Um, yeah, totally. But, uh, excitement's not what's going to get us there. It is, it is the bold declaration of what is true that I think ignites people, uh, with, with true passion, um, that then creates the revival that we're talking about. And you're right. We couldn't agree more that the church needs it. Yep. And it's been so awesome talking to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for the time. Guys, guys, loved, loved being here, loved uh, the conversation. And uh, thanks for uh, allowing me to drone. Absolutely. So good, bro. It was great. (laughs) Thanks, man. Awesome.